there's no way around it for every single one of us and probably far sooner than any of us are ready for it's coming and the sooner that we start living in recognition of that fact behaving in recognition of that fact and planning the better off everybody will be the better off our lives will be the better off the people that we leave behind will be like everything's better when we start thinking about death regularly you're listening to out of line with caroline lee Exploring offline realities with online personalities. Alua Arthur is the founder of Going With Grace. She's a death doula, a life lover, an end-of-life planner, and a former attorney. She's a jewelry addict, a bike enthusiast, and a developing nation aficionado. She also happens to be the adjunct professor at the University of Philosophical Research, and she's creating a training program for death doulas and end-of-life planners. This is the very first episode of Out of Line where I'm talking to someone about the thing that they're known for. But I'm pretty sure that death and dying are pretty out-of-line topics, so hopefully you'll find this conversation to be something that serves you. We are total double Piercy twins. Yeah, totally. I know. (laughs) Twins, but this is like super twinning. Um, I know. I like your stud better. It's like such a good flat. I like that one. Okay. I'm so excited. So, okay. You are a death doula. Is that, is that how you introduce yourself? Mostly. I say I'm a death doula and an end of life planner. And when people are like, what does that mean? I say, I help people prepare to die. Oh my gosh, you are amazing. And I got introduced to you and your work a little bit a couple years ago when I did advanced directives with my siblings, which is still like one of my favorite life memories and experiences. So, um, and, and since then I've been like obsessed with you and like every, everything that you do, I'm just like, how do you do it? You're amazing. So I want to hear a little bit, like, what are the most common the most common either questions that people ask you uh, that you're just like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is what you need to know about, about people that when their lives are ending, like this is what they talk about. Is that something, is that something that you see the same things over and over again? Kind of in that they all revolve around three different major areas. Um, And within them, of course, they're very different, but most often it's around getting their affairs in order like making sure that they have everything laid out kind of like you and your siblings did, which by the way, I want to pause and acknowledge you all because you guys made me so happy when you all sat around and talked about this together. You all get a gold star because that's what everybody should be doing. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) So that's really important, getting their affairs together, Um, healing their relationships. They want to make sure that everything's in tip top shape in terms of who they loved and how they loved. And lastly, people are really concerned about the afterlife. And what's going on here? What's going on after here? Yeah. If anything at all. Okay. So those are the three major areas that I get a lot of questions and concerns about. Only two of them I can do something about. Uh Um, About the afterlife, I have no idea what goes on there. And so I generally stay away from it, except for if my client wants to talk about it, then I'll go there with them. Okay. Yeah. So what is your story that got you into this work? Oh, it's a good one. I'll keep it kind of brief though. Okay. Sure. So I've been practicing law for 10 years and I was terribly depressed. I'm a lawyer by training and I was really depressed and went on a leave of absence from work, ended up in Cuba. And I was running through the streets one day after 
staying out way too late and drinking way too much rum and a car almost hit me in the street. Yeah. I'd slept like two hours. I was still drunk. Realistically <laughs> drunk. ran through the streets. A car almost hits me. I slammed my hands on the hood. Like, Oh my God, girl, get it together. Don't die out in these streets. And made it to the place that I was going, made it to the bus stop in time, which is ultimately where I was trying to go. And at the bus stop, there was a woman in line. I started chatting with her. She was German. She was 36. She was traveling the world to see all these places that she wanted to see before she died because she had a uterine cancer. I found that out after she told me to get in the right line to go get a bus ticket. I did. I get on the bus. I'm the last person on the bus. It's totally serendipitous that I've made it on the bus. We get in it like just delicious and good, you know, soul sister type of vibes right off the bat. And we start talking about her disease. And I remember looking at her thinking, oh, my God, this disease might actually kill her. Which means, and she's 36, she's only a couple years older than I was at that time, and I was looking around the bus thinking, everybody here is going to die one day. I'm going to die one day. Why is it that we're not really engaged in this conversation? And it may be ridiculous, but it was the very first time I'd had a serious thought about my own mortality or even a real conversation about it, you know? So we talked about living with disease, we talked about dying, we talked about what would be undone in her life, which is another major thing people talk about. If they die now, what is it that they're going to miss out on? And I learned that she really loved to write and she was a writer, but she was working for like a People magazine equivalent in Germany and she really wanted to write like a real story. So we decided to turn her travels into a blog, which ultimately got turned into a book, which are currently being optioned for a movie. I'll tell you about that in a second. Ah! And during that trip, I, I was clear as day. I remember looking out the window, still a little drunk, saying, this is it. I'm just going to work with people that are dying. Like, I, it wasn't an aha moment. There was Which, no like, like, spoiler alert, is everyone. Everyone. <laughs> spoiler alert. I love you so much. You're the brightest light. I just love you. So were you. So delicious. Who knew? <laughs> I guess everybody knew. We just had yet to meet each other. I know. I yeah. know. You're so, yeah. you're so good. Um, so ultimately, I got off the bus with her. She stayed on the bus with me for 14 hours. And when we finally got to the place where I decided to stay for the night, she told me that she was in the car that had almost hit me earlier on in the street. Yeah. That's why that story is bonkers. What? Yeah. And when I slammed the hands, my hands on the hood, apparently I... I looked straight at her. I have no recollection of this. I don't remember seeing anybody. But she said I looked at her. So when I made it to the bus stop later, she was like, I need to get this girl on the bus. Wow. Is oh. she still alive? Still kicking. Wow. And so can you tell me about the movie thing or is that top secret? I think it's minor secret. I know it's an option for a movie. I haven't read the book because it's in German and my German skills are not that advanced. Um, but apparently I feature pretty prominently in it and I can't decide yet who I want to play me. Um, don't you just have to play yourself? I'm sorry. Who could, who could nail like, no, I'm sorry. I'm my sorry. My pretty sister. She looks like me and she's an actor. It would oh, be perfect. all right. There you go. Check, check. Then yeah. you're just the, you're just the producer, the yeah. executive producer. I love it. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. And so that was 10 years ago. That was six years ago. Okay. So then where do you get training or what kind of training do you go through to support people in the end of their life planning? 
So I got a certificate in death midwifery through an organization here in LA called Sacred Crossings. I also found her super serendipitously. And it was just, I mean, I left that initial intro meeting crying and dancing and singing and laughing and like shaking. My whole body was so alive. And after that meeting, after that initial session, I was like, okay, great. This is going to be it. So I did the training. It's three weekends. I did it over the course of a year because I was traveling a lot at the time. And then I hung out my shingle and I was like, great, I'm a death midwife. People come and find me. And nobody really would. Um, <laughs> there was nothing. It was nothing. Nothing. Shit. And so I started putting myself out there and tried to figure out the ways in which I could support. And what I learned was that people had a broad range of questions about how we die and there was no general place to make this happen. My brother-in-law, I should mention, also got sick um, somewhere in the middle there. And then he died six months later. And I was present for the last two months of his life. And I saw practically how it happens for families, which is, is it's terrible. It's a disaster. Um, and after his death, I was trying to help my sister get his affairs in order before I had to leave and go take care of myself. And there was so much to do and there were so many questions and there was nobody to ask. I was like, if, if there could be somebody who knew the answers to this questions, that would help. We'll pay whatever we have to just so she doesn't have to do it. You know, Um, And like I said, I'm a lawyer, like I understand these things, but trying to figure out how to transfer title for vehicle was so challenging. So that's, how that happened, I saw where the gaps were. And so then I started to figure out, okay, they're big holistic gaps. So let me learn everything I can in all those fields. So I started working with funeral homes. I worked with life insurance companies. I worked with estate planners. I worked with grief counselors. I worked with hospices. I was like, let me get it all. Just anybody who was doing something around dying so I could learn all the things. And that's what my practice now looks like is I do all the things. I think a lot of people think that death doulaing is, you know, sitting bedside and holding hands, which is a beautiful offering. Yet when my initial clients would ask me, hey, what do we do about this car in the garage? I'd be like, oh, you should probably ask the DMV. And I was giving them more work rather than taking away some of their burdens. So I learned the things and now I do all the things. Wow. Wow. So what, what's like the thing that you're most passionate about? Like, what do you want the world to know about death? Is that it's happening, that there's no way around it for every single one of us. And probably far sooner than any of us are ready for it's coming. And the sooner that we start living in recognition of that fact, behaving in recognition of that fact and planning, the better off everybody will be, the better off our lives will be, the better off the people that we leave behind will be like, Everything's better when we start thinking about death regularly. Mm, wow. That's a good, that's a good word. Um, <laughs> how, how do you think about death in your own life? How do you, how do you, you know, you're around it all the time, but how do you wrestle with it for your own self? And, and what does your practice look like around your own death? So I meditated on it quite often. And I use it as um, like a benchmark and a guidepost for what I'm achieving, right? So I often ask this question, if I died now, would I be happy, you know, to gauge what I've done up until now? And also for something that I want to do in the future, is this something that's going to matter at my deathbed? Or is it something that's just kind of silly? It's not that important, then it doesn't matter actually what I do. Uh, So in both ways, checking in with the present and then also looking in the future, then simply, you know, like there's a guy I like and like, I didn't want to tell him for a long time. And I was like, well, if I died, then he wouldn't know. So at least I want to tell him just in case. 
<laughs> did you tell him? Oh, I did. Oh, my God. It how, was so hard. How'd it go? It was hard. Yeah. Yeah. It was challenging for me, but it was fine. Like, he was like, cool. Like, I see you, and I think that you're lovely, and I've got some things going on right now that I'm working through, but I see you, boo. Um, and, you know, I think what we ultimately – gosh, I can't believe I'm talking about this. What we ultimately <laughs> kind of came to and what I'm recognizing is going on is he is healing, and I'm holding space for his healing. And I'm doing my thing while he's holding – while I'm holding space for his healing. And that's the best I think I can ask for in this moment. Wow. Yes. You are You are so amazing. Um, I want to ask you – thousands of hours of questions. Um, so <laughs> I can't help it. This stuff fascinates me. Um, so let's say someone, let's say someone's listening to this and they're like 25 years old and they're like, yeah, 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 I'm going to die. Cool. But how do I prepare like practically now? Like I'm not sick. I'm 25. How do I live my best life? And also practice being aware of my mortality. Um, well, a practical thing is to actually start doing the planning, like think about what your desires would be for life support and who you want to make your decisions for you. If you can't write down, if you're 25, you probably have a whole digital life. So write down your accounts and your passwords and what you want done with your social media accounts. Think about what you want done with your body, how all that's going to be handled after you die. Like do some of the practical stuff because that almost naturally and necessarily leads into the other stuff. Like who am I being? How am I living? Am I living authentically? Um, am I making choices that are in line with who I actually am or am I living for somebody else? And that's, I mean, I remember being 25 and that was something that kept coming up and I didn't know how to resolve that. What do I want as opposed to what the people are telling me I, I should want? And I think living in relationships to death or at least staying present to the fact that you're going to die is a useful way to keep that in check somehow. Yeah. You think that's useful? Yeah, absolutely. That's useful. And and so, by the way, because you, the advanced directive that I filled out with my siblings, that, that's one that you wrote, right? Or did yeah. I, am I making that up? Okay. No, so, so an advanced directive, can you give like the legal like d definition of what an advanced directive is in case someone doesn't know what it is? Sure. So um, an advanced directive is actually uh, desires, de detailing your desires for your wishes at the end of life. And it is in two parts, actually, which is the healthcare decision maker and your desires for life support. That's actually the totality of, the, of an advanced directive. What you guys got, you guys got the big daddy of them all, <laughs> which is an advanced planning tool, which has all the things, not only desires for life support and care and treatment of the body, but we go into how you want to be cared for and treated, social media, accounts, possessions, body, services, what is your life meant? All the things that are really useful to support people in wrapping up affairs after our life is over. Big daddy. Yeah. And so do you make the advanced directive that you wrote available for purchase? Like, is that, if, let's say someone's listening and they're like, oh, how do I even get that? Or how do I do that? Is that something that should, is, do they, can they hire you? Is that, is that anything like, how do people do that? So almost always, except for you, oh. it goes in conjunction with a consultation. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't sell the directive on its own because oftentimes I feel like it uh, does people a disservice because it really helps to have somebody there 
peeking through the stuff and helping you get clear on what your values are and also just getting giving you options to consider when making these decisions so most of the time it goes in conjunction with a consultation and the consultation is where the meat is the document it's great to have but it's useful to have somebody sitting it beside you while you work through that I'm also creating well I've mostly done at this point a course that people can just do online on their own so you can have access to the document you can have access to me talking about what the things to consider are and then you can engage me with questions yes so that is absolutely something that will be amazing because I um just yeah like as you know um I started to think about my own siblings and I'm the oldest of six and I love them all. I'm obsessed with them. They're amazing. And I started thinking about, you know, how all of us, like we live all over the country. We're not always together. And I also started thinking about how my parents have really different kind of, I would say, convictions than some of us do. Like, Within my siblings, we all have very different beliefs or things that we would want done. We have, you know, one of my parents would be would be very against like cremation. But then my other parent would be like they would have wanted. You know what I mean? Like there Mm -hmm. would be so much tension if something happened to one of us and we didn't talk about it. So I I kind of pitched it. I was actually laughing so hard because the other day, (laughs) the other day I saw in. I saw in my text messages when I pitched it to my siblings and 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 I basically was just like, hey, guys, I know we're all going to be together this summer. And I think it would be really fun if we all got together and watch Mr. Rogers while we drank cocktails. Oh, and by the way, what do you think about doing this thing called an advanced directive? And also, let's talk about death. What do you think about that? <laughs> and they were all just like, like they all just replied like, ha ha ha. You are so weird the way that you just like just casually drop like, by the way, we're all going to die. But we are. (laughs) You're a woman after my own heart. But we are. (laughs) But you're dying. Me too. I know. I know. know. And it's like, it doesn't matter how, how rich you are. Like, that's the other thing that always just fascinates me is that some of the richest people in the world, you know, die of diseases that people can't save them from. And that, that, that is so sobering to me because it reminds me of how much my life isn't a guarantee and it isn't like, oh, well, if I just make it to this level, then, you know, I'll be saved. Like too bad, too bad. Um, too bad. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die just like you are. And, um, yeah, so not to, I'm not trying to take over your podcast episode with my own thoughts on death, but I'm so happy to hear them. (laughs) I'm so, I want to know how the experience was with your siblings when you guys were actually doing it. It was amazing. We, we talked through so much. Um, we talked about what was coming up for us. Um, one of my siblings got like mad, like it brought up a lot of like, this is like, this is, this is so weird. Why would we focus energy on talking about dying when we're not being, you know, fully present in our living right now? And I was like, well, what if this is us fully living? (laughs) Get it, girl. Get it, girl. So you didn't need me. I mean, well, next time, next time you go to look for like, you know an associate or like a partner in, you know, your business, call me because I got things to say about you. Um, I love what you do. It's amazing. So, okay. So I love, I love all of this. I love all of this about just like thinking about the, just sort of being in awareness of our mortality and thinking about dying means that it empowers us to truly live, you know, 
I'm all, yep. I'm all about that. So what about, what about people who get left behind? What about, what about grief? What about when someone that you love passes away and, you know, I mean, that, that is a whole thing. Can it's you a just, whole thing. yeah. Can you just like dive into that? Yes, I will do my best. Grief sucks. The end. Yeah. It just blows. And the thing is, there's no easy way through it. There's no end of it. There's no over it. There's no healed. It's just a constant process. And it waxes and it wanes. And sometimes it gets a little easier in that you're living with the loss a lot more um, comfortly and comfortably and cohesively. And at times it's just really tough and that you're feeling that absence like it's a hole sitting right next to you. Grief sucks. Um, I think... Oftentimes when I talk about death, people think that I think it's this like beautiful experience and a, I don't actually know what the process of dying itself is because I haven't yet done it that I remember. Oh, there's a possibility. There's a possibility. I don't know. I like I it. Know. I like the curveballs. Yeah. You would know what I don't ever know. So when I think about the, the, the difficult part is for the people that have to deal with the aftermath and Tying it right back to planning really simply is that one way it makes it much easier on the people afterward is to get some of this stuff done um, so that they're not still trying to, you know, talk to Social Security for an hour and a half. Those wait times are 58 minutes when you call Social Security. Imagine while you're grieving on hold for 58 minutes with Social Security. They're not trying to figure stuff out when they're also devastated and have their hearts cracked all the way open. Um yeah, it's such a such a tender, sweet, 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 sweet time. I just I wish I could hold all of the hearts, you know, all the time, um, but I can't. And so I just love them as best as I can over here, mm -hmm. and try to make it easier on them by handling some of this stuff beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Is there a way that you ever support people in preparing for grief? Is that even something you can prepare for when it just, no, is it just like the waves? I don't think there's anything you can do to prepare for it. There is a phenomenon called anticipatory grief, which is what happens when your loved one is maybe nearing the end of life or at the end of a long illness or, or just even like really, really sick and they've been sick for a while. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's the grief that occurs before the actual grief when you're already forecasting in the future how terrible it's going to be when your loved one is dead. And, you know, you're thinking about, all the things, all, all the losses that have also occurred, like maybe if it's your partner, loss of a sex life or loss of the future dreams or loss of income. So the, 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 those losses have occurred, but like the big one hasn't yet occurred. And um, anticipatory grief, there's no anything that shows that it actually helps when the grieving itself comes to pass. But I, don't know, I think some people might just get a double whammy feel really bad before the death and then feel really bad after too. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, it, and it's amazing to me that you went through this with your brother-in-law. So, you know, it's not, it's not the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, well, she doesn't know. Like if she had lost someone close to her, like she wouldn't be so perky about death. And you're like, no, you've been through it. Like your sister, you, you're walking alongside her, you know, life after that. 
Um, and so, you know, are there any things that you've seen that have supported? Are there any things, um, even just like meditations or things that you recommend um, to someone who's going through like a really dark wave of grief? Yeah, my friend, Claire Bidwell-Smith, she's a grief counselor. She's one of the baddest in the game. And she's just, she's cool. Uh, both her parents died when she was really young. So she's been riding the grief train for a long time. She is smart. She is, her heart is full. She's incredible. She has an online course for grief. You can also sign up to work with her one-on-one. -on -one. And there are some free tools also on her website. And I believe her website is probably just clairebidwellsmith.com. And it's C-L-A-I-R-E. Okay. Yeah, Claire Bidwell Smith. She's incredible. She's somebody that I love to... I'm so grateful she's in my circle because I love to send people her way. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for that. I'll, I'll link her website in the, in the notes for this episode so that people can find her. Cause I know I think about that a lot actually. And I, and I am going to keep talking about myself cause apparently I'm obsessed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do it. But, um, but I often think about, about death and, I think about it like every day, all the time. And when I think about dying well, the reason that I want to die well isn't about me. It is actually about like the people that I'm leaving behind and knowing that if I have my affairs in order, it will be easier on them to just kind of like, I'm not going to be here anymore. Like I'm like out by like anything that I leave for them. Um, that's in order is one more chance for them to just be in their own experience, whether or not that's grief, whether or not that's just like, you know, Hey, that happened. Depends. Depends on how I show up. We'll see. But I think that, um, you know, living well to me means dying well. And I'm really inspired by it. It seem, and this could be my projection, but it feels like people are more interested in talking about death now. It feels, and I don't know if that's like a just me projecting my own desires onto onto humanity. But have you noticed that at all? I've also wondered if it's just me projecting my own desires onto humanity. I'm like, is it because I want people to talk about death that they are, or is it actually happening? But let me tell you what, I feel like there's a lot more people are sending me videos and there's people out there doing the thing. And a lot more people are interested in becoming death doulas and end of life planners now. And people are like perked up. Whereas five years ago when I was like, listen to this thing I'm going to do, people were like, uh, you're going to what? So there's, there's a shift that's happening slowly. There's also something that's happening generationally, though, like culturally, is that the baby boomer generation, the largest generation in all of history in the United States of America, is reaching 65 and older. They are going to start dying. In 20 years, this country is going to look very different than it does today, and they are going to need professional support to do so. I think the fact that their lives are starting to end, like they've shifted every industry they've ever been a part of, you know? And I feel like they're shifting this one as well. They're the ones that are driving the shift in death consciousness that's happening. Um, and it's going to be up to us really to like see it through because they're going to start it, but they're going to be dying as they're starting it. And so <laughs> me and my homies are going to be the ones that are really changing it. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. 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 And picking up the, you know, the torch. Um, yeah. Are there other cultures around the world that inspire you in the way that they look at death? Oh, so many of them. A lot of the developing nations, in fact. Um, oh, let's see. Where would I start? Well, obviously, Mexico, the Day of the Dead. 
I love how Mexicans relate to death and dying. I don't know about the actual process of dying, but I am familiar with how... Uh, Are you okay? I'm fine. A guy went on a Tinder date with just walked past. <laughs> Sorry, can we cut that out? <laughs> That's so bizarre. I don't even remember his name. Oh. What is he doing here? Oh. Huh. Anyway. Well... Um, cultures, and I'll do better at paying attention. No, you're fine. Hey, distracted. Swipe right. Yes. <laughs> I should have gone left. Oh. How different. <laughs> hey, yes. Burn. Uh, do you actually want me to cut that out? It was funny. Oh, then we can keep it. Okay. Um, how different cultures deal with that? Mexico does an amazing job. Um, Ghana, which is where I'm from, I think we do a pretty good job too. There's a couple interesting bits, not only from paid mourners, people that they pay to show up and mourn at your funeral to show how loved you were. I think it's kind of ridiculous, but also shows that they want like the death to be a big thing that happens. There's also a practice for richer people to have a coffin, um, that looks like your profession while you were living. And so I'm really trying to figure out what my coffin would look like. Would it just look like a Grim Reaper? Would it be just a coffin? Or I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know the answers. Uh, there are also pallbearers you can pay to come and dance at your funeral in Ghana, which is pretty cool. And like synchronized dances to like Michael Jackson and they toss it around. Oh, and come they just on. Get down with it. Right? Right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Super cool. Another thing, and I keep talking about Ghana because it's uh, the culture that I'm most familiar with since it's mine, but I'm really into how we do it. Uh, we also have a series of symbols. It's a proverbial language written in symbols. And so all of our like things about life are written on this uh, cloth that we wear at funerals. The funeral cloth is printed with these symbols. So what we wear to go bury our dead holds all of the keys to life. What? Wow. Right? Why are we so boring here? <laughs> oh, I got answers, but I will not say. <laughs> you can uh, you can say later, privately over lunch. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I got ideas. So there's, I mean, so many other places do it in incredible ways. There's this place in Indonesia that every year they dig up their dead and yeah, I know. And like put new clothes on them. Um, I think Whoa. there's a place, I, right? Like redress them to like honor the ancestors. Batting those Whoa. eyelashes, girl. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. How do they keep the bodies from being, from just like getting real gross? They are gross, oh. but they still want to honor it. Well, yeah, they're certainly not embalming or doing any of the ridiculous stuff we do here. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's just one other place. I can't remember where it is right now, but I believe it's a Spanish-speaking country where they leave the body in the home for like three, six, nine months after a death. Yeah, wow. right. So that they start living in relationship with the dead. Wow. That's actually really interesting. I mean, if there was a way to do that without it smelling bad, I I see that. I, I see that because I think... For me, like I've I've lost grandparents and I've lost, you know, I've lost people that I really love. And to me, it does feel so abrupt. It's like they're there and then they're not. And there's no like transition period of, 
oh, I'm I'm relating to them as this body where they aren't here anymore. Um, and I'm weirded out by open caskets just as like a side note. I think that's weird. But at the same time, if it wasn't just like an ugly funeral home with an open casket with, you know, someone's body in it while we all sort of shuffle past and like nod in a weird, awkward way. If there was actual meaning in the ritual, I mean, people would probably people would probably do a little huh, but I'm I'm like here for it. It's happening. There's the home funeral movement is where, and a lot of what I have done as a death doula is when somebody wants to die at home, we set up the bed or the room to look like they would want, create a dying experience that they're okay with. And well, as okay as you can get with the whole experience, okay? Mm -hmm. And then when they die at home, I help the family members, empower the family members to wash and bathe the body at home in the bed, dress the body, and then it stays for a while. And bodies can stay at home. There's no law that says that a body has to be gone in any prescribed amount of time. So it is totally legal to keep your dead at home in the state of California and in most states across the nation. You don't have to rush them off someplace. You don't have to rush them off anywhere. And so what we do is we have the body at home. We will bring dry ice or um, like ice packs or these, you know how um, the packs that go in coolers? Yeah. Yeah, those things and lay them under the body. And bodies actually don't really start smelling for a long time. It takes a while for the decomposition and the stink to kick in. Yeah. What's, the, what's a long time? Um, I think probably like I've never actually been around a body that, that started smelling and the longest that I know somebody kept it at home was 10 days. Oh, but that was also packed with ice. Wow. So I don't know how long a body not packed with ice would stay. Cause that's just not a thing. Um, wow. yeah. Yeah. And so in that case, like you were talking about, people have an opportunity to come in and see that, wait, grandpa doesn't look like grandpa anymore. Like he, grandpa clearly is not here. And I think it supports in grief in that it's easier to identify that a separation or like a death has occurred that grandpa has shifted somehow. Cause he's not, he's not here anymore, but this is his body. Yeah. You can just look at the body like a tissues and a sack. Wow. Okay. So let's say one of your clients passes away and then are you involved in that process of like with the death doula process, are you there to be like, this is how you wash a body. This is how you put ice on it. Are you there all like after, after the person passes away to support the family? Yes. Yeah. Wow. It's a juicy part. Uh, I mean, it's all juicy. Like yeah. I love talking and getting the passwords down too. Um, but this is where it gets really rich and being present to support a family after somebody that they love has died and they're still at home. Like it's still so brand new. They don't can't figure out from down yet, yet something profound has occurred and to be able to support them through that process and empower them to not have to rush to make any decisions. You don't have to get them out of here. Take as much time as you need. And I find that people generally don't need more than like three or four days before they're ready. You know, and they're like, okay, we're clear. People that want to come by have come by. Now let's move this along. And then maybe the crematorium will come and pick them up or transport them to a funeral home if they still wanted a traditional funeral of any sort. Yeah. Okay. So what's like one of the coolest experiences that you've seen? Let's say a real life story. You don't have to use names or anything. Obviously, I'm sure you can't anyway. But let's say, can you share just like a real life example of someone? Because I just think I'm hearing this and I'm fascinated and inspired and amazed. And I need to like go rewrite my advanced directive. 
Yay! Yay! Inspiration has struck. That's what I, I know. Live for. I know. I want this. This is amazing. Awesome. But I, I mean, I've read about like at home funerals. Like I've read little bits about this, and I'm so amazed by it. And I mean, I'm like a total hippie at heart. So there are going to be so many people who who like take a while to warm up to this. But like, I'm the person that is like, this is so cool because. I've been to funerals at funeral homes that are super sterile where someone has like weird makeup put on them that looks nothing like them. And it's just felt like such a dis- such a separation from who they actually were that I'm like, oh, I actually didn't get to grieve at all. I just felt weird that I was at this kind of like ritual that had nothing to do with them. And so this idea that there would be something so personal, I'm just like, yes, tell me everything. I would love to hear just like a real life experience of someone who did this. I'm going to give it to you from a different perspective, because this is where it really became very real, the power of this type of service for me, even though I'd done it professionally for other people before. Okay. So, um, Let's see. I was working in conjunction or like a funeral home in Venice. Her, uh, her name is Ziri. It's called Friends Funeral Home. And she had been working with a young woman and she was going to do her home funeral and had also set up for her direct cremation after her death. And she couldn't make it yet to the house. And I lived in Venice at the time. So she said, do you mind just going over there and making sure that everything's set and everything's ready before the home funeral happens? I said, sure, no problem. I was walking over there and I saw a friend who was driving in that direction. My friend asked me where I was going. I told her where I was going. We said, well, it sounds like we're going to the same place. Turns out we were headed to the same place. It was one of her friends that had died. And so I came into the setting very intimate. The woman had been dead maybe three hours, four hours. She'd already been washed and dressed. She was in a beautiful, like white lace dress. There were white flowers on the bed. She was holding a white rose. Her mother was sitting by the side of the bed. She was, I think, in her early 40s when she died. She'd been sick for a while, and my friend had actually told me about this friend of hers that had been sick previously. I never met her in life. And I was there in a somewhat professional capacity, but shortly after I arrived, Ziri also arrived. And so I didn't have anything professional to do. So I just was an observer in this very intimate space. I got to know this woman so well, a woman that I had not met once in her living. I got to know her so well during that ceremony. People, her friends came in and out, probably about 12 of them over the course of the afternoon. Her hats were up on the wall. Her succulents were all over her bed. Um, they told stories, they put on her hats, um, they shared her like one-liner little quotes, um, they celebrated her life, they felt honored to have been there at that time, such like a delicate liminal space, they, they spoke of her with such joy, they spoke of joy that she was now free of this body that had been holding her back for so long, and they all thought it was really beautiful and touching that she'd also, this death looked like hers. You know, there was nothing, this death looked like hers. And that's what everybody kept saying. And I, it really hit home how powerful experiences like that can be for other people. Cause again, I wasn't producing anything. I wasn't making anything happen. I just got to be there and hold my friend's hand and cry with their other friends that I didn't know at all. It was such a gift 
super serendipitous and such a beautiful gift. I stayed there with them until the um, transport service came to pick her up and take her out, which was an experience in and of itself. Yeah, it was beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is such a beautiful story. And I'm, I'm so inspired by that. And I, I want, like, I want people to know that they can, that that's an option, you know, like, I feel like there are so many people who will even be listening going, you can do that. You can do that. And I'm thinking about what you said about how it's legal to keep a body for days. And I just think that that's so, oh my gosh, I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm speechless. I'm, I'm so speechless. What is something that you would hope for this part of the world that we would learn about death, that we would start to implement in our rituals, our practice around dying? Not to be afraid of the body. Um, I think something that has happened culturally and historically, even philosophically over the past few centuries is that we've pushed death away. You know, our our elders are in nursing homes. We don't see aging very much anymore. As soon as the death happens, the person is gone. People die in hospitals now. They're not at home. We're so removed from death. We, it's like, we live up until a certain moment and then we're shoved away and then that, then we're gone and everybody's wondering what happened as opposed to being able to see aging and decay of the body and dying and then being with death. That's something that I think could really support us in how we live and also in not being so terrified of this process. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's scary anyway, but I think it could soften the fear. Yeah. It could soften the fear. Yeah. If we lived around with it. Otherwise it's just super mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's mysterious anyway, but like more. Right. But it's kind of like, it's kind of like shame a little bit where, you know, if we're too ashamed to talk about something, we, we feel alone in it. Like we feel, you know, there's this, oh, I can't talk about this or I can't share this or I can't be in my experience because what if, or what, what will other people say or do or think? Um, and I think that, you know, somewhere along the lines of Puritan, religious, whatever, we sort of just like kind of got a little uptight and forgot that, oh, hey, by the way, we're all going to die and maybe we should share in this experience together and learn from it in a way that I'm really hearing that you do a lot with with your life. Um, and it's it's so cool. Um, so, OK, I feel like I literally I'm not joking. I could ask you like four days worth of questions. <laughs> and and I, I also feel bad because do you ever are you ever just like, hey, by the way, there's like so much more to me. Stop asking me about dying. Like, do you do people ask you about this stuff all the time? Yes. And this is what I love to talk about most. And so like this feeds me. I'm so down. I, I, I literally talk about death all day, every day, and I'm not yet tired of it. And I don't think that I will. It's so juicy. Yeah. It's so juicy. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, so where does someone learn what, what happens to a body when it naturally decays? Um, like before, let's say they're like, oh, maybe I want to do an at home, you know, funeral or like a death midwife process for myself or someone that I love. Um, how do you even just prepare for something that you've never seen happen before? You know, like we've, most of us have been to like the weird funerals, like my grandma's that was at the weird, you know, 
whatever, um, funeral home. How, how do you prepare for something or even what it's going to be like in terms of expectations? And I feel like that's a bad question because you can't like expectations around death. Like you can't prepare for something that you've never done, but are there things like any sort of resources or just like even a science, a science video on like what happens to a body as it dies and decompresses or decomposes, not presses. Yeah, there is. There is a great video on YouTube. It's like four minutes long that shows um, what happens to a body and decomposition, which is pretty cool. Um, if you want to do this for yourself or at home, it's a really good idea to call a death doula or a death midwife because you're going to need some permits to transport the body. Obviously, you don't need anything if you're just, if you have like a cremation surface set up or you're going to work with the funeral home and they're just going to come and pick up the body because they'll handle all the permits. But if you want to do it all yourself, call somebody because there are things that you're going to have to get in place first. Uh, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I okay. want to, I'll ask you what the link is to the, to the YouTube video and I'll add that in the, um, okay. in have the, to look for it. yeah, in the show, in the, um, episode notes so that if anybody, you know, gets all sciencey, <laughs> let us science, science. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So what else, what's a question that I haven't asked yet that you're like, uh, she needs to know this, or maybe someone needs to know this that they haven't heard yet that, you know, you're just like, you're missing, you're missing the big one. Hmm. We talked about planning. We talked about the afterlife. We talked about talking to people, but we need to talk about talking to people about death. Cause that's something that comes up a lot. Like, Hey, I'm starting to think about the fact that my mom's going to die. How do I talk to her about it? That's it's, it's a good solid one. It's a tough one and it's tough for all of us. Um, some parents I find are far more open than we think that they are because they're older than we are. And so they're already starting to think about the fact that they're going to die. I think that the older we get and the closer to death we get, the more we actually start thinking about it. And so they're probably already thinking about it and maybe just don't know how to talk to you about it. Mm. So if you are thinking about it, you start the conversation and see where it goes. If there's some resistance, that's totally normal also. Uh, but it gives you a good idea about how ready your parents are to start this conversation. And, to see how much stuff you're going to have to deal with after they die. Um, yeah. Yeah. So check to see if they already have a will or if they've talked to anybody about estate planning, that's not the best place to begin if you are starting your planning, but it's a place that people know it's a thing that people know that they should do. And so they might already have talked to an estate planner of some sort, um, or life insurance. That's another good one. Cause a lot of people have life insurance policies. Yes. And so ask, Hey, do you have a life insurance policy? Sure. Well, who is it held by? Don't ask how much it is. Cause then they're going to start thinking that you're going to try and kill them off. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask how much, don't ask how much, but just ask about the company and the policy number and where they can find information like that. Because if they say it's in the top drawer in the bedroom, then you'll probably know that maybe the important documents are also in there. And you can ask, is that where I can find your social security card or is your password in there? Or, you know, just find out where the stuff is. Yeah. Cause that's going to help you a lot. Um, yeah. So start talking to people about it. And remember, as you're talking to people about dying, try to stay as non-judgmental as possible. There's no time when we are going to do things on our own terms more than when we're actually doing our dying. And so however somebody wants to do it, that just gets to be their game. Like it's not about us at this point. Yeah. What about if someone is actually dying? Like what about if they, you know, have a terminal illness and 
Is that something that you would say to also talk to them? Is that something that you find, do people want to talk about it? No. Oh, wait, the dying people do. Oh, the dying people want to talk about it. Well, let me not generalize. In my experience, I found that the dying people do want to talk about it. It's us folks that aren't, don't yet know what we're dying of that shy away from it because we think it's going to make them uncomfortable. So we pretend everything's normal and they're like, yo, but I'm dying. Can we talk about it? And so it helps a lot if we just acknowledge that there's something pretty awful going on because that gives them space. They can ask questions. How are you doing is always a weird one because if there's something physical, they're probably not doing so well, but maybe they want to talk about it. Mm. So um, just acknowledge it, just acknowledge it and then leave the door open for them to walk through Mm. and follow their lead. It's really important that we listen. Mm. It's very important that we listen. Mm. Yeah. And stay away from, have you tried or you really should anything that could sound like you really should just maybe let's not say, just listen. Oof, that's a if good you feel like one. you wanna just ask a ask a question about them, just ask about them. Just, yeah, that is yes. so good. That is so good. Um, even I had a guest on a few weeks ago who has a chronic illness, and that was one of her things. That's like if you know someone that has a chronic illness, don't like they've heard it all. <laughs> they've tr- they've tried everything that they, they want try. to try. That's that doesn't help. Like, don't assume that you're like different than everyone else and have something, you know, totally unique and helpful to say. I was like, oh, my gosh. So important. Um, So true. So, okay, Do you see patterns a lot in in the meaning that people attach to to life and dying? Do you see the same sort of patterns, even in terms of like um, afterlife or spirituality or anything where, you know, where you have created any sort of, I know you said before that, you know, you don't, you don't know cause you haven't had your own experiences, but do you see patterns or even people who, you know, work with like mediums to connect to their, to their loved one that passed away to try to connect to their spirit? Um, do you have any sort of opinion on that? My... Overall opinion is that people tend to, in my experience, tend to shy away from religion nearing the end of life and closer to spirituality in the ways that we started to understand it in this Western world. Um, And that people go away from like Jesus and, you know, Catholicism and this and that to rather, oh, maybe my loved ones are over there and I'm going to be reunited with them and I can open back to where I came from. Uh, and that's always, it's encouraging, particularly for me that still here living my life being like, Ooh, is that what's going to happen? Like y'all are a little closer. Maybe you know something that I don't. Mm. Um, I did have one experience I want to share. It was really beautiful. I was with a 90, was she 96 years old? I think. And I was with her daughter. Um, her daughter had hired me. She had Alzheimer's and dementia, and she had had Alzheimer's the entire time I had known her. When I met her, she was using real words still, but they weren't stringing together to make sense. And then uh, maybe about six months after I started seeing her regularly, they devolved into not even real words. And then very quickly, she was declining very rapidly. Her daughter had hired me to sit with her and just be present with her. and offer her some support so she could still do her things while also taking care of her mom. And 
nearing like very close to the end when she started sleeping for most hours of the day we were present together and she woke up and she looked in the corner of the room and she said herman herman help me herman i don't know how to do this herman and i was like oh that's interesting but as far as i know her husband's name was john and john was my the the daughter's father um, and she was married to him for all of her life, as far as I knew. So much later on, daughter comes back and she said, anything interesting happened? I said, not really. But, you know, at one point she spoke a clear sentence, which was, Herman, can, can you help me? I don't know how to do this, Herman. Daughter goes white and said that Herman was her high school boyfriend, her first love that had died uh, in one of the early wars. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I have chills right now. And I was like, oh, huh. I don't know how to do this, Herman, is what she said. Herman, help me. Herman, help me. I don't know how to do this. I was like, holy cow. She died maybe about three days later. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Right? Isn't that powerful? It is. Yeah. Very powerful. And this is a woman who was otherwise not at all religious in her lifetime. She's a scientist. Um, She didn't have any particular spiritual background. She just was doing the thing in life and when for all intents and purposes her mind had shut down her brain like the cognitive part had shut down there was something that was still so conscious and clear to speak a clear sentence and to reach out to somebody that she'd known from decades prior yeah yeah he'd been dead maybe 70 years at that point that's unreal do you believe that we have souls or spirits or are we just bodies um, I'm not sure. I have my own beliefs, but I generally don't like to talk about them so much because it doesn't create space for my clients to have theirs. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I totally hear that. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause then I all have, of a sudden it's like, I'm hiring someone, but they don't, will they hold space for what I'm, what my process is? That makes total sense. Yeah. Yes. For me to be a Muslim. Yeah. And I'm like, do you boo? Do you all day? Yeah. All day. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So yeah. you, you, you stay neutral for your clients, but you also have your own, your own yeah. stuff. Amazing. I have my own stuff and it shifts constantly with the things that I see. It's constantly shif- shifting. And this is a conversation that you and I will most definitely have over lunch. Okay. okay. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh my God. I'm excited. Um, okay. So final words on death and living before we talk about social media, which is hilarious because the irony that we switched from talking about life and death and then social media. Amazing. Right. Um, And I'll explain why when it's my turn to talk. Okay. No, tell me. (laughs) Well, that we live on in social media if we choose. And now they're doing these things where you can recreate a presence through AI by looking at somebody's social media presence. Yeah. So, yeah, we live on these pictures. I'm really glad that when I went to high school and college, it was not Snapchat and these things because there, I'm sure, would be just images and videos of me out there that I don't want three (laughs) generations down to see. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. You were living your best life at the time. Best life, girl. <laughs> okay, so do you have a, a life a life motto or mantra or thing that you practice that you can leave us with on living your best life and being present right now? Hmm. 
What I keep coming back to is the fact that life is precious because it ends. And that if we had for forever, we would just, nothing would be sacred. Nothing would have any meaning. Nothing, there'd be no point. And I don't know what the point is right now. I have no idea why we come in and play around and have heartache and be broke and deal with cars and banks. I have no idea why any of that stuff happens. But I do know that if death wasn't a reality, none of the rest of this would matter. And so I want to make this matter as much as possible because death. Amazing. Stick around for part two of this out-of-line discussion to hear a social media Q&A with Alua Arthur. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season. Hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya? 